Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today is Jay Schneiderman, formerly the Southampton Town Supervisor, and before that, the East Hampton Town Supervisor. And um, I've known him a long time, and I thought it would be interesting to talk to him about how these two jobs differed that he's had for the last 20 years, I guess. First of all, you were Town Supervisor in East Hampton just before a very dramatic uh, town supervisor came in who spent almost spent the town into bankruptcy. And um, But that's long ago. And then uh, you did a lot of good stuff for East Hampton. And then when you became a supervisor in Southampton, how did you find it that the two places differed in, from as far as the office was concerned? And what you needed to uh, do. That's an interesting question. First of all, I guess, Dan, we've known each other most of my life. <laughs> I think you first met me when I was maybe three or four years old, when my parents were running the Breakers Motel out of Montauk. You had the Montauk Pioneer, and you were probably trying to pitch advertising to my dad. That's true. Involved with the Chamber of Commerce. So actually, it was, I think even before it was the Chamber of Commerce, they had some business association. So, uh, yeah, that's... That was a long time ago. So I've been a fan of yours for many years. So uh, I'm glad you're still doing this. You know, it's funny. I became East Hampton supervisor. Um, I took office January 1, 2000. So the big fear was Y2K. And the pan- right. It was a big panic. The world was going to end. Y2K. <laughs> you know, Hampton, that wasn't a crisis. Y2K, I know, but tell, people don't know what that was. So tell Y2K, them. Y2K, yeah, was not a problem. All the computer systems worked. You know, yeah. we, did, we did have 9-11, you know, September 11th, which was, uh, boy, that was a, a really frightening, uncertain time. And, uh, you know, and as Southampton supervisor, you know, I managed the town through the pandemic. So I've, I've had my share of uncertain times. Uh, you know, public safety has always been, I mean, my primary concern, but I've also worked a lot on, on different issues. You know, the East Hampton and Southampton, well, you know, I'm the only person who's been supervisor of both towns. And apparently I've been told I'm the only person to have been elected supervisor of two different towns in New York State's history. So That's nobody's correct. ever been supervisor of two different towns. but. The towns have a lot more in common than they do apart in terms of differences. You know, the focus on land preservation and water quality and concerns about overpopulation and traffic, uh, affordable housing. How are they different? So they differ. Look, Southampton's a much bigger town. And um, Southampton probably has retained more of its workforce than East Hampton. Um, and East Hampton now is very dependent upon workers coming from Southampton to, to sort of sustain the community. 
Um, Southampton is able to draw more people from within the own, their own town to run it. Um, the size of it in some ways makes it more manageable because of the department head structure. Um, having it, you know, both towns have a five member town board, you know, one of the members being the supervisor, you know, but you know, East Hampton's population is 20,000 roughly and Southampton's around 60,000. They both sort of triple or quadruple during the summertime. But there's definitely an economy of scale that you get with the slightly larger town or the slightly larger tax base. You're able to you may maybe draw in more talent because you're able to maybe sometimes be at, you're closer to where people are, maybe able to pay them a little bit more. We have really good department heads in Southampton, which creates the ability for the supervisor to, you know, not only manage, but really get into long range planning and problem solving. You know, I found in East Hampton, more micromanaging as, as supervisor, more of the stuff fell on me. I couldn't delegate nearly as much as when I was in Southampton. You know, both towns have its, uh, you know, group, that vocal group that come to all the town meetings. And right. you know, it's interesting because I've never considered myself a partisan player. Somewhere mid-career, I switched from uh, Republican to Democrat, but I started out as a Democrat, you know, and then I was independent for a long time. And, I, you know, it's really, I haven't changed position on any issues, but I have changed party affiliation. And you know, East Hampton is now very strongly a Democratic town. I mean, I probably all members of the town board, and probably most of the, uh, you know, the appointees on the planning board and zoning board come through that Democratic organization, the committee, or certainly get appointed by a, a Democratic board. Um, Southampton is far more bipartisan, I guess, more purple. In a way, uh, you know, Republicans get elected, Democrats get elected. Um, we try to keep the boards relatively balanced between the two parties. So, you know, in East Hampton, a lot there's a lot of power with that Democratic committee. You know, who they pick to run for town board, who they pick for supervisor is like that person's likely to win. It wasn't that way. In the old days, in the old days, East Hampton was a Republican town. Is of Perry Durie and Eddie Ecker. It was, you know, solidly a, a Republican town. But uh, I think that started to shift with, you know, Tony Bullock and Judith Hope. And, you know, there was a lot of development in the 80s. And people were getting very concerned about overdevelopment. And then, you know, it was sort of equal Democrat, Republican, and gradually through the years, probably by, you know, 2010 or something, it was pretty solidly Democrat. So it, I think the registration edge is significant, like 70, 30, you know, Democrats to Republicans. Uh, Southampton, it's closer to even. Actually, for the first time, Democrats now there are more registered Democrats than Republicans. And that just happened recently. So and that is a fundamental difference between the two towns. Why, um, does, why is that happening and how is it different? What does it mean when it's 
different like that? Well, you know, the county itself has been moving Republican, but the East End has been moving Democrat, including South Hall. A lot of it is folks moving out from New York City, registering to vote out here. Um, you know, most issues are not identifiable as Republican or Democrat. You know, everybody cares about safe streets. You know, they, they want to feel safe in their house. They want to feel safe when they walk down the road. Everybody wants good parks. Everybody seems to want their taxes to stay low. Uh, everybody cares about clean drinking water, uh, open space preservation. You know, these are not really Democrat or Republican issues. You know, East Hampton, the Democrats, I think, define themselves fairly well on uh, the environmental issues. I would say Southampton has had a better balance, perhaps, in terms of business, you know, more land that's commercially zoned. So you probably have a, a larger commercial business sector, maybe a stronger business alliance in Southampton. Uh, East Hampton is so residential, you know, Montauk being sort of the exception with all the hotels, but you definitely have, um, the business community has a stronger voice, I think, in local government in Southampton than it does in East Hampton, which is it's another interesting distinction. But again, there's way more, way more things in common. And, you know, it, it's changed a lot through the years. You know, when I was East Hampton supervisor and I went right to being supervisor, so I never served on the town board in East Hampton. I was zoning board chair. Um, and then I ran for supervisor and, and I won and I stayed a couple terms before going to the legislature. Um, it, those were the days before social media. And, uh, you know, there was definitely people who would come to town board meetings. You know, there was a lot of critique. The newspaper, when I first started, really, you know, the main game in town was the, the East Hampton Star. There was no East Hampton Press. There was no Independent, which was there for a long time. And, you know, the East Hampton Star, you know, took their weekly shot at me. You know, it was often, um, you know, they put their editorial opinions out, often critical of things that I was trying to do in the town. Sometimes I'd have trouble getting things that were really positive covered. So I, I struggled a little bit with the media. Today, it's a different world. Today, it's A, there's a number of publications, but B, social media has made it that information is uh, communicated 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there really is no reliance on fact anymore. Now it's, it's you know, it's very hard to get in front of disinformation. Um, there are very few filters. People seem willing to spew vitriol, um, poison pen, you know, it, you know, venomous. And it's, it's unbridled. I mean, it seems like it, um, it's constant. And uh, I don't remember that in the beginning, where there was so much access to public servants, where information, false information would travel so fast, you couldn't get ahead of it. it it's made it, I think it's made government, it's made public service doing these types of jobs, being an administrator, um, harder and harder. And I have to say, like, the town supervisor is the head administrator. Town supervisor is the CEO. 
and the CFO, you know, chief fiscal officer, chief executive officer, you know, you really are, you're managing the town. And, you know, a lot of the time is just dealing with administrative duties, hiring, firing personnel, putting out the fires, you know, and making sure that the, the paychecks get cut and the bills get paid. You know, you get a good credit rating for your bonds and things like that. And then you have this other side, which is, you know, the town board meetings and all the stuff that captures the attention in the newspapers. And that seems to, that's where the big change is. You're still running the town, but there's a new, you know, maybe this is like a post Donald Trump thing where it's, it's almost fashionable to be mean to public servants or politicians. And, uh, you know, people, there's no filters. They just will say whatever um, they'll say. And, you know, I'm out of it now. And, you know, I, I got pretty thick skinned through the years. And I knew that I was always working in the public interest. I know that every decision I made was with the community in mind. And that sort of propels you forward. And, uh, you know, you, you hope that history will judge you, judge you well. But, you know, you do have to endure sort of this, you know, the constant slings and arrows. And so, you know, I used to really highly recommend public service to people saying, oh, my God, this is the best career. You really can make a difference in your community. You know, you 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 really can uh, get things done. And, and, and now I am a little bit more cautious because you have to be so thick skinned. You know, you have to be, you know, live under a microscope and be prepared to sort of take the constant, uh, you know, negative, the, the uh, you know, the letters, the attacks and things like that. That is that, you know, whether it's in East Hampton or South Hampton or really anywhere, that is that is a fundamental change. And that concerns me because I want good people to serve, you know, and, you know, another change is the amount of money that you need to campaign, the amount of money that you need, these tiny little elections used to be, you know, you have to raise $30,000, 20, 30,000. Now you got to raise 150,000 for a local election and forget about Congress. You want to run for Congress, you got to raise $5 million. So the money in politics in elections really, it's way too much. You know, it used to be if you volunteered in your community maybe you worked for in the rotary or the elks club or you know meals on wheels you got to know people you know everybody knew you and that's how you got elected you got elected because people trusted you because people knew that you cared you know now it's it, you know if you got if you're a self-funded candidate you have a tremendous advantage and uh you know, the campaigning can be very negative, a lot of, you know, mean ads, attack ads. And that just seems to maybe I think that's here to stay. I, I wish it weren't. But well, back back in our day, uh, you sit down at the typewriter and you had rules and regulations and you typed up stuff that you thought would be helpful. And people uh, judged it one way or another and said so. Now people sit down at a computer typewriter not that that matters. And the first thing they think about is, what can I say that will get me a million followers? 
and they think of the most outrageous things that they can possibly think of. Um, I was uh, going to write a story about this. We both are in great agreement on it. But my story was going to be uh, to give an example of of how these things have changed in terms of what the jur- journalism or reading has changed. Would be to write that. Uh, oh, the, uh, the the attack on the Capitol building on January 6th was actually done by the Democrats. They gave all the weaponry to the, the people at the, at the uh, you know, the, and, and I said that would be a, a great, you know, story. All the all the um, proud boys, they, what's this? Oh, you want me to carry the spear? Okay, sure. You know, and the Democrats are laughing and rubbing their hands together. And this would get a million hits. And I was going to write this as an example until I realized people are going to take this out of context and start reporting that that's, in fact, exactly what happened. Well, that must have happened to you. Like, I remember your stories from when I was a kid, when I first started reading. And I I pretty much believed everything you wrote. Like, I I didn't understand parody and satire back then. So I really... You know, thought Howard Hughes was secretly living in the top of the, uh, you know, the the Fisher Building in the center of town in Montauk. So, I, I you know, maybe some of the space alien stuff, I don't know. But, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I later began to understand that it was tongue in cheek, uh, you know, but today, boy, what people believe is true, <laughs> the conspiracy theories, oh, my God. Um, yeah. And they love to spread them. I, I've heard so many about myself. I, I try to laugh, you know, and say, oh, really? That, that's that's my secret motivation? <laughs> um, my God. But, uh, you know, it's... I don't you know, know what the future holds for this, but it's sad that uh, the rules of journalism have not been applied to in a way that was meaningful. I noticed that a lot of the local papers have abandoned... Uh, letters to the editor it used to be a prominent place where people could say outrageous things for that very purpose. Yeah. Now they're smarter and they're trying to say, look, there really are facts, you know. Yeah, East End Story used to publish everything. Old story. There so what a- do you do with yourself now that you are retired or not retired or whatever? Well, it is? you know, we'll we'll see. It's kind of interesting. I've had my I got my first vacation in like 24 years, so. Um, I went away to Portugal for a couple of weeks. Um, I really, you know, was like, I love the ocean. I love the coast. And I just kind of wanted to see the Portuguese coastline from, you know, the north to the south. And, uh, you know, it really, the cliffs are beautiful. I took lots of pictures and um, I did a lot of hiking. Really amazing country. I highly recommend it. You know, the dollar goes far. It's very safe. But um, I'm also going to Brazil for a carnival with a oh, group. Oh. You know, I play with those samba drummers on the beach. So. Oh, yes, I remember that. So it's my first time going to carnival. So I'm doing, I'm getting a little travel out of my system. Um, and then when I come back, I may do some work in the not-for-profit world. You know, I, I definitely will play some music and do some art. I may do some consulting. We'll see. You know, I, you know, I, I'm trying to see what it feels like to be out of elected office. You know, after 24 years <laughs> in elected office, you start to define yourself by that title that, you know, follows your name. So, you know, I have to get used to that, you know, and, you know, I'm trying to help the new folks who just got elected 
as best I can provide uh, information that they might not have from some of the backstory. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to stay open to possibility. So there, I might do something with that's I may stay do something in government if there's a good opportunity, but we'll see. I might even run for another office. I had looked in the past at running for county executive, uh, decided not to do that. I looked at running for Congress um, at the moment. Uh, you know, I'm not doing that either. I'm trying to take a little bit of time to, uh, you know, just sort of spend a little bit more time with people I care about and, you know, get sort of back and spend a little time in Montauk. I really miss Montauk. So yeah. Montauk at the moment, it's so beautiful here. Yeah. I, you want to know the, the, the most famous thing you ever said, in my opinion, it was um, after you and you balanced the town budget as town supervisor in East Hampton, uh, another guy came in, McGinty, his name was, yeah. and uh, began to spend more money than he had. And when he was found out about it, he he, bl he blamed you. He said that it was heading that way when he took over and this and that and the other thing. And you commented to me, you said, you said that when you were the town supervisor, we had a, a department for animal control for the dogs and stuff. And they had a room in the old uh, town hall. And then when McGinty took over shortly thereafter that, the town dog catchers now had an entire building that they built. They bought uniforms and trucks and <laughs> same number of dogs. That was your company. Yeah, well, you know, they were used, they were using preservation money to plug holes in the budget. It wasn't adding up in you know, I realized that and called it out pretty early that there was something wrong with the numbers in the town budget. And, you know, but, you know, it got righted up with a, a bond, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I left the town in really good shape fiscally in, in East Hampton and the same thing in South Hampton record reserves. You know, we've had year after year, perfect audits, you know, the highest bond rating, both, both towns I brought to the highest credit rating, you know, that's, you know, the, my years in service, I, you know, if I look back, I go, okay, uh, certainly I, I can't even, I don't even know how many pieces of property I helped preserve. I've signed so many contracts to preserve land, Oh, uh, you, know, and it, you know, and because of the CPF fund, right, the Community Preservation Fund, yeah. it was new when I was East Hampton supervisor. So I got to preserve pieces like Shadmore, which is now a beautiful state park and uh, the piece at, you know, Navy, Navy Beach, Navy Road over there. All yep. the way at the end, that beautiful park and uh, Jacob's Farm in East Hampton, lots of other pieces. Uh, Beautiful pieces of, and then the same thing in Southampton, because we had the money. So in Southampton alone, that land preservation fund has brought in well over a billion dollars. What was what were some of the projects that you got in that were preserved in Southampton? Well, we we preserved uh, an awful lot of land, but you know, John Steinbeck House is one of the things that you know that was eleven million dollars in town money. To, to save his house. Um, and we helped the Sag Harbor Cinema too. They wouldn't have been able to transform that building without the town's help. And 
created a lot of open space uh, with, just before I left, we agreed to purchase a really nice piece on uh, Lake Agawam to expand Lake Agawam Park. We had purchased a piece uh, in downtown Watermill, which is going to be a really lovely waterfront park. You know, I, a lot of sensitive pieces, a lot of places now, new beaches and places for people to access the water. You know, but we did creative things too. Like we got um, that little driving range on County Road 39 that was going to end up being a big box store. We're able to step in and acquire certain rights to keep it available for community recreation at affordable rates. So we've done some, you know, creative things with the fund. I think we should do more in terms of active recreation, more in terms of ball fields and things like that. We've been doing a lot of historic preservation in Southampton, the old Girl Scout camp on, uh, you know, on the Peconic Bay, beautiful piece of property where we're storing the old uh, lodge at the Girl Scout camp. We we built out the Nathaniel Rogers house in Bridgehampton, um, the, the life-saving station out in Hampton Bay is on the water. We're able to do some work at the Pierce concert property. Uh, you know, we put the money in place to rebuild that house, that historic house where this uh, yeah. indentured servant, uh, Pierce concert lived. You know, we gave money to the Southampton African American Museum to we we rebuilt that old barber shop there. Yeah. So we did a we did a lot of historic buildings. Oh, you know, Tupper Boathouse. Tupper Boathouse is another big one. So land preservation, historic preservation have been a big piece. Public safety for me has been a big piece. Uh, you know, when I came to Southampton, the police department had a lack of community support. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a nice way to describe it. The, the Southampton Police Department had gone through a period where people were questioning certain things about the operations and I was able to hire a new police chief and a guy named uh, uh, Chief Skrnicki, Stephen Skrnicki, who you know sadly passed away a few years back. But he was able to transform that department to make it really uh, uh, respected by the uh, community. I mean, we brought the crime rate down significantly. We modernized it. Morale within the department went way up. Um, we solved all kinds of crimes and. You know, we used a lot of technology and developed a dialogue with the community that we did not have before, uh, particularly in some of the, some of the racial issues that have plagued a lot of uh, police departments. I mean, we really went out of our way to be one community and to really develop the kind of rapport that we needed. We also increased the number of police officers and the number of patrols, the vehicles out there, but. Uh, you know, public safety was very important to me. And, uh, you know, I, I think I helped create a safer town. You know, other, you know, and then the financial front, just keeping taxes down. I mean, property values in the eight years that I was supervisor in Southampton, in some areas, property values tripled. You know, in Hampton Bays, for example, you know, we invested in infrastructure, dealt with flooding issues, created the beautiful Good Ground Park, 
rebuilt the beach pavilion out of Ponquag, you know, made it really a world-class pavilion. And, you know, prior to me becoming supervisor, property values in that area were falling and property taxes were going up. And then, uh, you know, I took office in those eight years, property values tripled and property taxes actually went down. Um, yeah. Was pretty remarkable transformation. I like well, that community. Hampton Bays reminds me a lot of Montauk. Well, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. We've been on it a little over time, but it was worth it. And uh, wish you the best. For... Uh, always good to talk to you, Dan. Okay. Talk to All you right. soon. Bye -bye. All right. Be well. You too.